The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today For our weekly money spot with Charlie West and we've invited other guests to join him to discuss the issue of what we want from our banks. They're now highly profitable again. We're expecting annual profits this year from Bank of Ireland in around €2 billion, much the same from AIB. Even permanent TSP, which has had its problems, is making major money. Are they making too much money? Are they providing a good enough service? Are they giving good enough prices to customers for their products? Briefly, I'm going to ask all three of our guests, uh, Charlie Weston, Dara Cassidy and Nasa Horrigan, to discuss this. Charlie, briefly from you, are we getting good service and value from our banks at present? I think you'd have to say no, Matt, to that. I mean, they're making soaring profits. Between the three of them, it could be as high as €5 billion, Euros, as was being speculated in the Sunday Business Post last year. They're full-year profits. We know that between the two big banks, between them made close to €2 billion Euros in the first half of the year. Soaring, soaring profits. Service, not good. I mean, the last two big stories I had on the banks were the... Um, ATM free money, if you like, thing that um, la- the Tuesday night last week, my wife was coming home from meeting a friend. She was in a taxi, spotted an enormous queue at an ATM, Bank of Ireland ATM, and uh, said it to the taxi Charlie, driver. get there and get your money out. No, <laughs> she, she said it to the taxi driver and he said, oh, that's all over town. People think there's free money. So I was onto that like a shot and wrote it up. That was a debacle, an absolute mess. Uh, the system just, you know, told people they had this thousand euros and people foolishly thought they'd get away with taking it out. That was a disaster and it took the bank a long time to apologise. That's one story. Pre- that's the other what the, one? Previous to that, two weeks previously to that, Ulster Bank uh, tracker mortgages, which had transferred to AIB, AIB sent out a letter to these people, these newly acquired customers, 32,000 of them. Most of them got a letter saying, you're not paying enough on your tracker mortgage. We have to considerably, usually increase what you're paying, in some cases, and a couple of hundred euros extra a month. It sounded like they were implying when people rang up that there was some problem in miscalculation of the interest or something. An absolute mess. And they were very mealy-mouthed about the way they apologised for it. So two very big stories, you know, that, 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 that demonstrate that the banks might be incredibly profitable, but they are not serving us well. NASA Hurricane Green Party TD for Dublin Central, you were writing about it in the Sunday Independent. What's your impression of what we're getting from our banks at present? I think we're getting a very bad deal. I think the banks that we have, the, the, the two pillar banks, and, and, and you can include permanent TSB, I suppose, uh, have the market all sewn up and there's no competition. And of course, a private a privately offered service with no competition doesn't doesn't offer a very good deal for people. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is financial services, are, is banking a utility? It should be a utility because we have to have, you can't really live without somewhere to, you know, have your, your paycheck sent to, somewhere to, to store your money. It's a utility, but we have completely stepped back from it now. Okay, but I remember, and I was working in financial journalism 30 years ago when one of the big stories was whether we could get competition to AIB and Bank of Ireland and have a third major pillar bank. And then suddenly we Ulster Bank got much bigger and lots of foreign banks came in. And do you know what competition did for us? Competition meant that all these banks started throwing money at people, giving them loans that they eventually they couldn't afford to repay. Competition turned out to be a disaster for Ireland. So why would we want to go back to that competition? Well, I think you're conflating <laughs> the issue with the housing market and um, uh, no, the no, particular sorry. 2008 crash with the idea that competition in itself 
won't solve the problem. I, I actually Sorry, don't no, agree. Anessa, no, I, 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 let me just clarify this because what problem was was that too much money was available too cheaply in too large amounts for people and the banks were rushing at each other to get market share and the competition actually inflated the housing bubble. It was one of the key drivers of that housing bubble. Okay, so so that would suggest then that an entirely privatised sector is actually not going to do the job of a utility and provide people with the service of everyday banking that they need. What you look, what you see across the EU is that as well as having a, a private pillar bank market, you also have some kind of offering from the state or, or one that's guaranteed or underwritten by the state. In the case of Ireland, we do have credit unions, but they're, they're highly regulated and, and very constrained in what they can do. I would like to see either a, a more robust um, proposal for, for credit unions or indeed a public bank. We have had a look at public banks in 2019. We, we, the Indicon report suggested we don't need them, but at the time of that report, we had six pillar banks or six private banks in the sector providing competition and now we do not. Okay, because that's because Ulster Bank and KBC having left in the meantime. What do you think, Dara Cassidy? Do you think are we getting good value from the banks? I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, look at the profits they're making, but isn't it better that they make those profits than make the big losses that they did that we ended up having to bail them out for? Yeah, that's a fair point. And actually a strong and stable banking system is actually very, very important. So I don't necessarily get too vexed over the profits that the banks are making. I do get vexed, though, over the service that they offer. I think where Irish banks are particularly poor is around their online services and in particular their mobile apps. And I'd say there's a lot of listeners, particularly younger listeners who have maybe N26, Revolut. And when you compare that to the apps that are on offer from the three main banks, it is pretty woeful. I've written about this before and I've reviewed them. They are lagging. And it was quite unfortunate that the two banks, KBC and Ulster Bank, which had probably half decent mobile apps, particularly when you compare them to the competition, were the two banks that went up and left. So for me, that's where the big issue is with banking. It's the the customer service and just the IT infrastructure and the mobile app and the online banking facilities. Even some simple things like being able to freeze and unfreeze your card still isn't available with some of the banks, which is kind of, you know, something that was implemented 20 years ago in some jurisdictions. Okay, so our banks are behind the times, are they? Absolutely. Well, they're not even behind the times. They're actually removing themselves from that kind of consumer interaction. They have sold off all of their ATMs in the last two to three years to to private entities that are currently not regulated by by the the central bank. So if anything, those pillar banks are actually retracting even further from consumer interaction. Why were they allowed to do that? Yeah, that's a very good question. There was nothing to stop them doing that. And of course, we have a consumer um, watchdog that's within the central bank. We have no independent watchdog anymore. It was shut down after the crash in 2008 or, or certainly moved into the central I bank. Think the, I think that's right, a major Nessa. failure. The, 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 the banks do what they do, Matt. I mean, that's in their nature. They're, 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 their main priority is to look after the shareholders. That's what they're supposed to do. What you, what you, the problem you talked about earlier with too much competition was it wasn't just that it was too much competition, it was a lack of proper regulation. Yeah, and, we, and we, we have very, very good prudential regulation here, almost restrictive regulation. It's very difficult, for example, for fintechs coming in here to get authorised, but we don't have consumer protection. We don't have a strong uh, body like the Financial Conduct Authority like they have in England, which has strong-armed the banks into paying proper deposit uh, interest rates to to customers in England, uh, made them 
give written reasons, made the directors responsible directly for not paying savers properly. We just don't have that here. We have very, very weak consumer protection aspect within the central bank and it seems to be a box ticking exercise. I, we need to separate it out and have a separate strong consumer advocacy uh, for, for financial services separate to the central bank. I think that that consumer advocacy needs to be across everywhere. I mean, you see it in the energy sector, you see it in the, the, the grocery sector, in retail. I think the CCPC, the CRU, Comerag, I think they're not up to the task that they need uh, to be up to and it's not just in banking. You know, it, it really is everywhere and I think the that's the way they're designed as well, isn't it? Yeah, there needs to be a bigger voice for the consumer at cabinet level. Um, obviously, we're very pro-business in this country, and I guess it's it served us well up until now. We have a very low unemployment rate. We have a very pro-business economy. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I just think maybe the you know the dial just needs to move a little bit back to the consumer in certain in certain circumstances. NASA Anna Sligo says, what benefit would we gain if the banks were considered to be a utility? Look at the ESB, the profits it continues to make, and prices continually increase to consumers. No, that's a fair point. But again, it's it, it's back to the idea of regulation, that if you recognise that something is, some, is, is a service that people cannot live without, you know, the, the cabinet and government will have to take the idea of regulation far more seriously. And we can't just leave it to, to the private market. And therefore, I, I, I do think that this idea of a, a separate consumer agency is really, really important. I think, you know, if you had something like that, you would probably not see the kind of run on ATMs that you saw last week, because there would be a requirement that there would be significant um, kind of investment in ICT. But NASA. We had a situation where the state bailed out the banks mm-hmm. after the crash in 2008. Now, not in the case of Bank of Ireland. It remained privately owned with some state support because it got an injection of foreign capital. But AIB became state-owned, so did permanent TSB. Rather than actually using that as an opportunity to have state-run banks, the state couldn't get rid of those banks fast enough. And it could also be said that while they were under state operation, we still had them involved in the likes of the track of mortgage scandals. That's that's absolutely true. And I think um, we saw in the last few weeks that the government has allowed their share in AIB to go below the 50%. Um, and I think that that's a huge strategic mistake because in fairness, in a fully privatised market, that was probably our best strategy in, in having some kind of impact but, but on the banks. But what difference did it make? Because even when it was in state ownership, AIB was still involved in the track of mortgage scandal. I, I don't think it make any difference. You know, I mean, and, and the track of mortgage issue, story I broke... 15 years ago, is down to poor regulation. The central bank was told about that in 2009. It was 2015 before it acted on it. 2015. So does that mean it's, actually, crazy it's not the ownership years. of the bank, it's the regulation it's the, of the I bank. Think is the regulation is the key here. The regulation is weak and as Dara says, we don't do consumer advocacy in any way, shape or form in this country. I think the situation has changed so radically since COVID and the Ukrainian war and uh, there's a feeling out there among consumers that they're getting shafted and shafted okay, royally and they need break, some support. Before we take a break, there is one particular aspect of that that I want to get each of your views on quickly. Deposit interest rates. Should the government be putting further pressure on the governments to improve the rate of interest that is being offered on savings? Absolutely they should. It should Why? be Because we are out of whack with the rest of the EU. It's not fair for those same banks to be taking your money and profiting off it by lodging it in the ECB and then not passing on that to you. Dara, should we, or is it not down to personal responsibility that anyone who has money in savings could be getting a better rate of interest by getting on the internet and going to a foreign bank? Yeah, well, well yes and no. The, the, 
pitiful savings rates that are being offered are on what's called demand deposit accounts. AIB, Bank of Ireland and Permanent TSB are all offering 2%, which compares much more favourably to the rest of Europe if you're prepared and happy to put your money away for even maybe just one year or two years. So that's what people need to, rem- to remember. The second point is up until recently, it might change, Matt, in the next few months, but up until recently, the banks have kept mortgage rates relatively low. Uh, at one stage, we had maybe the second or third lowest mortgage rates in the Eurozone because they're not paying high deposit rates. And I fear that the clamour to increase deposit rates is going to come at the expense of higher mortgage rates. And I'd prefer the situation that we have at the moment because my sympathy lies with first-time buyers and borrowers over savers. I think it's an easy way, Matt, if the state wants to put pressure on the banks, that's raise the interest that they, uh, the state pays on its own savings yes, schemes, yes. the unpussed savings schemes, savings certs, prize bonds, uh, the, you know, installment credit, those, those things you buy in the, in the post office. Oh, they have risen once in 16 years, once last March. Now, so the state is as state miserly is, as the banks in yes, offering good interest rates. It's rich listening to Simon Harris, Michael McGrath, finger wagging at the banks uh, about the poor Minister rates. McGrath, that I believe in the last couple of days he has met he has, with the state savings, uh, the NTMA, and they are making an, an announcement good. about yeah. it. Next I know, week. I know but, but uh, it's no good whinging about banks when the state could yeah, have done this at any been, stage since. But March, at the moment, you know. if the state wants money on the bond market, it has to pay now. I think close to maybe three percent. So it's happy to give foreign investors three percent, but it's only giving its citizens one and a half percent, and it's Charlie said, if overnight that rate, the max of 1.5% went to 2% tax-free, the banks overnight would have to start offering 2.5%. We've talked about deposit rates being unfair, but similarly, have Irish mortgage holders been ripped off by the banks in recent years? Yes and no. This is a controversial topic. At the moment, interest rates can bear quite favourably, actually, to the rest of the Eurozone, and they have done for about the past maybe 10 or so months. The banks have been very, very slow at passing on the ECB rate increases to their customers, although that has slightly come at the expense of lower deposit rates. However, that was not always the case. And around this time last year, uh, we had among the highest mortgage rates in the Eurozone. However, one of the reasons why we have had quite high mortgage rates until recently is that it is quite difficult in Ireland still to repossess a home if someone doesn't pay their mortgage and in a lot of other European countries, if you fall behind in your repayments, you know, you could lose the home in around maybe six months, maybe even less. I certainly wouldn't advocate advocate for that here. However, the situation in Ireland where you can not pay a mortgage for maybe two, three, four, five years and have no repercussions, I don't think serves consumers either because those who pay, pay for those who don't. And that has partly been one of the reasons why rates have been so high. But there is issues around competition. As well. Okay, mortgages. Uh, Brian and Cork says the state controlled bank PTSB sold my performing mortgage to start and now it makes profits up to a billion. Tell me how that is correct to the people of Ireland. NASA. I don't think that's correct at all. And certainly, actually, I, I know somebody um, personally who that has happened to, that their, their mortgage has been sold to effectively some kind of a vulture fund and has skyrocketed in its cost. And luckily, she's in a position where it's a small amount. But certainly, we're back to regulation. I mean, that sh- that just shouldn't happen. But in a in a closed market, in a sector where where you you simply don't have significant um, competition, and you also don't have significant regulation, it's a it's a free for all. And and this is what's happening to people. I think it's appalling. And they were given false promises. Those people they were told it'd be fine, there'd be no changes. I mean, another reason, Matt, that banks are keeping uh, mortgage rates relatively low compared to what they might have pushed them through. They didn't push through. Haven't pushed through yet all of the European Central Bank rate rises. 
it's because they're kind of snuff out competition. They were being, they were getting a lot of competition from non-bank lenders, and there's two non-bank lenders that look been who have been trying to enter the market. It's very, it, it keeps out any foreign players as well by having suppressed mortgage rates at the moment. I mean, they, remember, that's what they're at as well. Sorry, they're in a very when, they're, when they're charging less than they might charge, that's a disincentive to others to come in precisely, and offer mortgages. Precisely. And, you know, so any others looking at this market will go, jeepers, hard to make a book in that market because those guys have it sewn up. The two big banks here have it sewn up and, you know, you have permanent TSB coming up behind, but the two guys, the two, big, two biggies have it sewn up. Um, you know, and they were offering very cheap rates on green mortgages, for example, um, now, they will argue that they're trying to make sure that people don't go into arrears and that, they, you know, but they're competing as well hard for first time buyers. So they're all kind of, you know, they're, they're carving up the market between them and they want to make sure that they get a good chunk of it each. So, you know, it's, it's not out of the goodness of their heart that mortgage rates are relatively low compared to what they could be. Nessa, do we have enough bank branches in the country after all the closures that we've had from the banks or would you, would it be OK to have even further if more people can move to Internet banking? I think it depends on what you consider the service for. Um, certainly, I, I've raised that to, to both Minister um, Donoghue and Minister McGrath in the past. And you get told a number of things. One is that, look, it's, it's, that, that's a costly endeavour to have a branch in every village and in, in every town. But ultimately, like if, if, for example, we thought of it as a utility, you know, that would be about financial inclusion. That, that you have access in some way. So if you, for example, have a disability or you're an older person want to see somebody face to face, you have that option. And what the both ministers will say back to you is, well, now we have cash, we have banking apps. And certainly our, our, our own domestic banks aren't brilliant in terms of their apps, but we have things like Revolution and a number of other apps. But of course, those are not the same thing as, as really having a, a bank ser- serves your needs. Need and I- banks, if we have post offices in these towns and villages, could they not provide all the services that the banks normally would? Because as it happens, a lot of banks that you might go into now, they're almost like this tumbleweed going through them. Mm. Well, I mean, post offices, most of their services are, are, you know, through most of the banking services that they provide are through a pillar bank or, or kind of, you know, sponsored by a pillar bank, should we say. Um, and and their, their accessibility is very important. But again, we're seeing post offices closed down around the country so that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. I kind of maybe losing to what Nassim was saying. If the banks that were there were actually banks, now a lot of them seem to be just shop fronts for selling loans. And if all the ones that are still left actually offered all banking services, then I'd probably say that, yeah, there is enough banks because there is a huge generation of people that are moving towards online services. But a lot of the banks aren't actually accepting cash and they only want to try and sell you a mortgage or a loan. So it does cause difficulty for some people. But for me, kind of getting back to my earlier point, I really, it's more the online services that frustrate me. Uh, Okay, fine. We might want more bank branches, but there's still stuff that you can't do online. Um, Some of the apps that the banks have are just so woefully behind what's available in other jurisdictions. eventually sort that out? The problem with that is, and I just checked with that today, it will be next year before that comes out. This has been talked about for about three years. Uh, It got competition and clearance months ago. And at the last minute, the central bank came in and said, well, actually, we need to authorise that, guys. So throwing a spanner in the works. How had, they, had, had they, they not thought of making that application the last well, couple of years? Well, precisely. Well, how come the central bank didn't realise that, didn't say to them, well, you're going to have to authorise that, guys, you know? That will need auth- separate authorisation to, to the bank's authorisation. So I, we won't I, have an instant payment system I, from I, the I, banks. Yeah. We probably have it from the credit unions. 
because they're going to go with CFA instant uh, payments before we have it from um, the, the banks. No, instant payments and, and having things on your phone and having apps is incredibly important. But there is a new world of what apps want to do and, and, and groups like Revolut now want to be a full service app. It's not just financial service they're offering. And I'm constantly getting texts to my phone of, do you want to get involved in cryptocurrency from from those kind of apps? And that's a massive hazard for people. So do you worry about Revolut? Because one listener says, please God, Revolut sets up a bank in Ireland and starts giving mortgages. But would that be a good thing I to have Revolut sh- as a competitor, particularly if it starts promoting things like cryptocurrencies? I think ourselves and also the central bank should be looking very carefully at what Revolut are saying in their kind of forward-looking, future-looking um, statements. They want to go far beyond simple financial services. And, and, I, and I think that there's a real hazard here for your average consumer of getting entangled in services that they had no intention or no knowledge that they, they really needed or wanted. You know, potentially, and it's very, very, very easy to lose money on cryptocurrency and you really need to read the terms and conditions and know what you're signing up for. But at the moment, Revolut, in my opinion, is the only bank that's actually providing some type of competition and is forcing the banks to actually improve their online services. Um, it's account for you know, day-to-day transaction fees are pretty much non-existent. It's really, really competitive foreign exchange fees. I kind of wonder if it wasn't for Revolut, the situation in Ireland would be utterly bleak. Like I said, they seem to be the only ones that are actually kind of forcing the banks to try and improve their services somewhat. So I'm happy they're in the market. But um, but yeah, I think that cryptocurrency and what they're trying to do, obviously, again, needs good oversight and good regulation. But just on sync, I mean, I don't know. To me, that felt like it was an attempt to snuff out the competition, in particular Revolut. I would just have concerns as to what the use of it is. My understanding is SIPA Instant Payments provides that service already. I'm not convinced that it's actually needed. And the CCPC had concerns around it, uh, saying they had to bring on other banks. And I, I don't know. It has I think, been opened up to Revolut. That, that yeah, was a condition been, put on yeah, it. Yeah, it it's mm-hmm. been opened up. But I don't think it's now, it now may even actually go yeah, ahead. So it, it's going to be irrelevant by next year, I think. You know? All right, yeah. look, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm out of time. Thank you all for coming into the studio. Nessa Horrigan, Green Party TD for Dublin Central. Dara Cassidy, Head of Communications for Bonkers.ie. And Charlie Weston, Personal Finance Editor of the Irish Independent, who'll be back next Wednesday with our usual money spot. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-